WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my daily politics podcast. It's Wednesday, July 19th. UPS has become ever more important to Americans and to the U.S. economy since the start of the pandemic. And now there might be a UPS strike on August 1st. As of now, the Teamsters Union is threatening to strike if an agreement is not reached by July 31st when their con current contract expires. The Teamsters represent a lot of people in this workplace, 340,000 UPS employees, including drivers and warehouse workers. If a strike does occur, it would be the first UPS strike since 1997 and the largest strike against a single employer in U.S. history, according to reporting on NPR. Now, this comes amid a larger strike wave occurring in the United States, as we've seen workers from various sectors Teachers, nurses, Hollywood writers and actors take to the picket lines over the last few years, right? So joining us now to discuss the details of the negotiations between the two sides and the potential impact of a UPS strike in the age of extreme dependence on shipping is Jane McAlevey, organizer, senior uh, policy fellow at the University of California at Berkeley's Institute for Research on Labor and Employment. She's a columnist with The Nation and co-author of books including Rules to Win by Power and Participation in Union Negotiations, published this year. She was on the show for a book interview for that. And Jason Miller, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management and Interim Chair of the Supply Chain Management Department at Michigan State University. He'll talk about the possible impact. Jane and Jason, thanks for coming on WNYC today. Hi there. Hi there. Always good to be here. Yep, thanks for having us on. Jane, can you start by telling us basically what the pay and working conditions are like for UPS workers, why they're on the verge of a strike? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, despite record profits, uh, both before and during the pandemic, um, if you factor in the cost of inflation uh, over the last several years, what you've got is um, a huge gap between what the CEO and the executives are taking home, uh, uh, which was, by the way, 27.6 million is what the CEO took home last year. Um, and if you look at the central issues in this discussion, you've got workers making in the part-time category, which is sort of the unresolved. You might go through what was resolved before talks broke down on, Jan on July 5th versus what mm -hmm. was not yet resolved. Okay. But the, the key issue that's left on the table right now has a lot to do with part-timers' wages. And part-timers' wages, because UPS is such a big federal contractor, actually track 
far too closely, if not right at sort of the national standard set to be a federal contractor. And in a place like California, it's basically at the state minimum wage. So you've got this incredibly successful company, 13.1 billion in profits in 2021, 13.9 billion in 2022, steady increasing profits since 2012, huge projections to be at 15 billion by profit in 2026. And frankly, they're paying part-time labor who got us through the pandemic functionally minimum wage in a lot of markets. Mm. That's at the heart of it, along with the fact that they're back to having 60% of all employees, you mentioned 340,000 of people who do, who literally got us through the pandemic, and you've got 60% of them working unsustainable part-time jobs. That's the heart of the issue that's left um, on the table in the battle that uh, I certainly am hoping the the workers will win at because it is in some ways with this being the largest private sector unionized contract they're going to be setting a pattern for many workers across the country whether it's the big three auto workers etc like what these workers fight for and win and what they're demanding is frankly a family supporting wage they need a family supporting wage and despite record profits cps is not willing to enlarge in the pie and not willing to share enough with the most efficient workers um, in the in the entire delivery system. And before we take some phone calls, and TK in Rockland, I see you. Antonio in Brooklyn, I see you. You'll be our first two calls, UPS workers. Um, what share of all shipping does UPS do now, Jason, if you know? And what share of Amazon shipping in particular? So um, right now we know, and these are estimates, that UPS represents about 25% of parcel activity in the United States. So they haul about 25% of parcels. It is quite unclear what percentage of Amazon's freight that is. We know that UPS has said, this was from 2022, that Amazon represented about 11% of their revenue. But um, the expectation is that roughly potentially 30 to even 40 percent of UPS's parcels are from Amazon. And so Amazon is certainly a key customer um, for UPS. TK, uh, go ahead, Jane. Go Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to throw in there. I don't I don't I think looking at quarter by quarter is not a particularly useful way. I'm looking at a decade of data. I'm looking at Barclays projections. I'm looking at um, SEC filings. Uh, you know, this is a growth company in a growth sector. Of course, it's down from the peak of the pandemic, but it's not down over time. And the profits going to the shareholders and the profits going to the executives make a mockery, frankly, of the kind of compensation that the workers have gotten. And finally, you know, the, the employer is using a lot of threatening language around losing market share um, to FedEx primarily. Um, and the truth is, by any standard, uh, the UPS workers, the Teamster workforce is a far more efficient workforce than any of their competitors. And that, whether whether you read Barclay, who says, you know, we find UPS driver efficiency and facility throughput to be nearly 50 to 60% higher relative to consolidated FedEx operational um, outcomes, or you look at any number of aggregate numbers. Yes, FedEx is um, the main competitor, but they are so inefficient and you can find data about it anywhere. So the truth is UPS, because it has a strong union contract, because the employer could make predictable um, uh, predictions about what they're gonna have to spend during the pandemic, 
Um, it's just a better run company. It's better run because it has a union contract, quite frankly, and more stable and better workforce. And they're not they may lose market share for a nanosecond during the strike. That wouldn't be a good thing. They're not going to lose it overall. There's too much data out there from patient patient from consumer dissatisfaction about F, uh, FedEx to just what the business world says about FedEx. They're inefficient, frankly, and UPS, because of the union contract, is a far better run company. TK in Rockland County, you're on WNYC. Jason, hold that thought. We'll get back to you for it. Let me get a couple of callers in here. TK, you're on WNYC. Hello. Whoa, whoa. Thank you, Brian. Let me tell you something, honey, how they got that uh, that that uh, satisfaction up so high. You go in that warehouse and you suck air. They crack that whip. You are not in the union for a while. They run through warehouse workers like you run through tissue at a funeral, okay? You jump in and out that truck every minute. Somebody's standing at the end of the truck going, stop, next truck. You stop what you're doing. You jump out the truck, literally jump into another truck. You might work that truck for five, ten minutes, loading up the back. Somebody's standing there, stop, back to the other truck. You jump out that truck, jump back in the other truck. Let me tell you something. There is nothing in this world like being treated like a mule. 2023, and they are treating human beings like mules, okay? And that's if you're in the union. So if you're not in the union, it's even worse than that. We've been in this heat wave I don't know what you think those temperatures are in that warehouse, but imagine what the temperature is in the warehouse, in the truck, with no AC. And it goes on and on and on. So while people sit at home and click the link and tap on their smartphone, there's people trying to earn a living that are damn near dying while some guy sits on his yacht. Thank you. TK, what yeah, would what could they put in the con- let me let me ask TK because having yeah. oh TK's gone okay but he uh, is or has been a warehouse him. worker and wow Jane yeah no no I couldn't agree with him more but by the way one of the one of the things they did resolve that the workers have already achieved before the July fifth breakdown was um, air conditioning in every truck. So there's been a huge uh, victory on that on the part of the workers already, and that mm-hmm. they got they got a ways to go in terms of victories and money that they deserve. But AC was one of the issues that they've already won on. Antonio in deal. Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Antonio. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. I love the show. First time uh, caller, long time listener. So glad you're on. Yeah, so I've been uh, a UPS driver for over 28 years. Just recently, I started working as an organizer for the union. And all I can say is that uh, some of the stuff you guys mentioned earlier, it is the largest collective bargaining agreement in North America. We do control 6% of the world's GDP. And um, a thing that was being mentioned, especially by TK, um, the way the workers are being treated inside the facility. See, the UPS driver is the face of the company that's the friendly driver who comes, delivers the packages. Everybody knows who they are. Um, they make a fairly good living. Um, it's still rough conditions either way you look at it. 
And then you have the inside warehouse worker that's almost like a second-rate citizen, just treated horribly. Um, you know, thankfully, they do have a union, so they do have some protections. But at the end of the day, you're talking about what, what it takes a driver all day to deliver in his truck anywhere from three to 400 pieces. It could be anywhere to 150 to 170 stops. A part-time worker will load four or five of those trucks within three and a half hours to four hours. Three to four to even five of those vehicles, some even six, in a matter of three and a half hours, loading essentially close to 1,500 to 2,000 pieces in that short span of time, dealing with these hot conditions like they mentioned earlier. I started in 1994 as a young part-time package handler doing that kind of work. It was grueling. And even for me back then, um, you know, and six years later I went full-time, but I was part of the 97 strike. The scary thing is that in 97, we were fighting for part-timers as well. The reason we went on strike in 97 was for the part-time workforce. And unfortunately, over time, they were able to just continue to degrade that position. And over years and years, at least 20 years, since we haven't been on strike over almost 25 years, um, the part-timers just continue to, continue to be left behind. And I have to give our leadership, Sean O'Brien, the president of our international union, uh, ex uh, an ex uh, a huge amount of credit for not selling out the part-timers this time around. Um, we're standing by our part-time workforce. They are, a lot of them, the backbone of this operation. They do an amazing, essential amount of work. And, and let's face it, during the pandemic, when people in their homes, people didn't, you know, it was the UPS workers who were out there delivering the goods while people were scared to come out of their homes. And the company made almost $16 billion in profit. We're not talking about revenue here. We're talking about pure profit. Their CEO made, with all her bonuses and all the shareholders and all that stuff, she made like $27 million, and they can't afford to pay our part-timers a bit more. We're not asking for much, Brian. We're not asking for much. We're just asking to give what's due. These workers were called essential workers. They were called heroes during the pandemic. A lot of them risked their lives, their families' lives. And on top of that, many had passed away. Many didn't make it. People in their families didn't make it. Why? Because they were out there. They were on the front line. And all we're asking for is what they deserve. Antonio, after the um, vivid and passionate description by TK, about a warehouse worker's uh, day and being used like a mule, as he described it, and you reinforcing that. Um, is there something that you and the union would like to see in the contract regarding just sort of the amount of pressure that's put on a warehouse worker from moment to moment? Well, yeah, we would definitely like a, 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 you know, a production standard that's normal, you know, uh, for people to stop you know, putting profits over human beings and just realize, listen, because of the pandemic and everything that happened afterwards and Amazon and all these companies, e-commerce has grown exponentially. Everybody's ordering packages now. People that didn't order packages before because, you know, they used to like to go to stores and try on clothes. Now they got used to clicking that button and get it just like TK said. They got used to using their smartphones to order things, having it come right to your door. Those, those are the customers now that are the new customers that, that actually used to like to go to stores. And now because of that, the production standard is just insane. So they're trying to crack the whip. They're trying to force these workers to work hard and fast. But we have a contract, and in our contract it states a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, for a fair day's pay, no more, 
no less. And a lot of our workers, when yeah, sorry. No, I just got to go because we're coming toward the end of the segment. I want to get one more thought from each of our guests, and I appreciate your call. Thank you for laying it out as clearly as you have. Uh, Jason, you were trying to get in a couple of minutes ago, I think, after TK's call. So you want to pick it up from, um, from there or say anything you want in response to those two callers? So, so I more want to address the issue of UPS potentially losing volume if there's a prolonged strike. They will lose volume. Um, the upper end projections right now are up to 30% of volume getting diverted. Um, I'm very embedded in the shipper community, and the shippers have very little patience for things like this. And so there will be substantial diversion of volume. I'm not saying I disagree with what UPS's workers are fighting for. I completely support you know, the right to unionize and the right to fight for better working conditions. But speaking from a supply chain standpoint and giving the perspective of the shipper community, they will start diverting volume. And unlike 1997, there are alternatives. It is not going to come back to that degree. And you so mean, when you say the shipper community, you're talking about the sellers like Amazon and other companies. And when you talk about diversion, you mean they're going to go to FedEx, they're going to go to the U.S. Postal Service and not come back? Yes, um, we've seen the estimate from probably the biggest industry expert, Shatish Shindal at ShipMatrix, is 30%. My estimate is 20% uh, of UPS's volumes could be handled by the capacity that exists right now. And you've already seen Amazon very aggressively over the past several years move to reduce their volumes to UPS as they continue to expand their delivery service provider network. This will be more and more and more of a catalyst to do that and move those volumes away from UPS. Um, it's a different world than back in 1997. And with excess capacity in this industry right now, with activity down, and we're very unlikely to see 2021 parcel volumes for a number of years. Um, it will be a time where shippers will shift volume away from UPS. So this, this is, I would disagree about this volume quickly returning. I do not see that happening in the event of a prolonged strike. All right. Well, the deadline is July 31st. Want to give us a last word, Jane McAlevey? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I think that is a bit of, in fairness, I think that's a bit of scaremongering. Um, we've seen numbers that look more like 10% in the short term. Again, if you look at the the overall the overall extraordinary um, productivity produced by the UPS workers, um, who frankly do deserve more dignity on the job, I don't think that that number is going to stick. And the fundamental issue here is, in this country, at a time of grotesque inequality, how is it that a corporation that has projections of 15 billion in profit by 2026 is not willing to share a greater percentage of that profit with the workers who are getting us through pandemics, floods, fire, climate change, and more. It is mm -hmm. time for UPS to expand the pie, come back to the table, cough up the money they have to reward these workers more. And that's the only way that UPS is going to avoid a strike. These workers Two. deserve what they're asking for. It's reasonable. And I think the whole American public is behind them, just like the writers and everybody else who's on strike. Quick, quick follow up to Jason's point about the threat of shippers not coming back to UPS if there is a strike. Um, do you think the company perceives it that way and that that gives the workers leverage? 
I don't, I mean, I think that they are, I think there is scaremongering. When I talk to the workers, there has been several rounds of scaremongering done by the employee attempts at it. Um, the message that management's moving inside of the warehouses and to the workers, and the workers are too smart for it. Um, these are smart unionized workers. We heard them on the phone already. Um, they know the drill. They know the deal. They know that they're most efficient. If you compare what the, what the FedEx stock buybacks are, stock returns are, all of it, these, these are just two different companies. And again, um, I think it's on it's on the employer, quite frankly, as to whether or not there's going to be a strike. They got very close to settling on July 5th, and the employer walked away to sort of test the resolve, I think, of these workers. And they have shown us through practice pickets all over the country that they are ready to go if UPS yeah. does not cough up more money for deserving part-timers. Jane McAlevey from UC Berkeley, from The Nation magazine, and co-author of Rules to Win By, Power and Participation in Union Negotiations, and Jason Miller, Professor of Supply Chain Management and Interim Chair of the Supply Chain Management Department at Michigan State University. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thanks for having us on. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.